been now in the book of Exodus studying um, God and his works and his word in the book of Exodus. We've titled this Revelation and Redemption. That's the name of this series. And so I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter number nine. Exodus chapter number nine. We'll begin at verse number 13, Exodus 9, verse number 13, and we'll go through chapter 10, verse 2. Exodus chapter 9, verse number 13, if you are willing and able in reverence to God's holy word, we ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 9 beginning with verse number 13. And here's how it reads. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, so that by my name, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, sin, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hell falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hell in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field and the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. And I and my people are in the room. Plead with the Lord, for there's, 
for there has been enough of God's thunder in hell. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the ember were not struck down, for they are late and coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seat. Look with me first of all in this text at the purposes of God. The purposes of God. Jump right into this thing. That's my first point. The purposes of God. Look at the purpose of God, first of all, in salvation. God tells Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh and tell them, here's God's word to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. God's command and intent is very clear. God wants his people liberated. He wants them to be free. However, even in God's command for his people to be liberated, he makes it very clear that he doesn't want them to be free just for the sake of being free. No, 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 no. There's a purpose in their freedom. He wants them to be free from the bondage of Pharaoh so that they might serve him. This word serve, friends, it doesn't simply mean to work. This word serve, it means to worship. By the way, by the way, this is free. Man, I said I wasn't going to get off my manuscript this morning. I think the word serve, it means to work, and it also means to worship. I think that God is already showing that our work is an act of worship. Our work is not just for us to make money. That's part of it. But God gives us work so that we may worship him. Work is not a result of the fall. Work was given by God to his people before the fall in, 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 in Genesis chapter 2. 
And God told Adam, he said, I want y'all to work the, the garden, till it. That was God's word before the fall. Work was given for them as a command of God. And it was to be an act of worship to God. I think that's a lesson for us to learn, friends. That, that we have to check our attitudes about our work. Because it is an act of worship to God. And I know some of y'all are like, Brandon, you don't know where I work. <laughs> I, hey, some of the, remember, Genesis 2, God gives us work. Genesis 3 happens. We sin in the garden. The fall comes, and now he says, now you're going to have to toil in your work. The, so the challenges that you are having at your work is because of the fall. The source of it is sin. But it still must be devoted to God. Okay, that, that's the end of the free stuff. So the purpose of God in our salvation is worship. God's ultimate goal in liberating his people, friends, is worship. Friends, too often we treat our salvation, our deliverance, like it's the end rather than the means. All too often we Christians think and behave like, well, I'm good now. I'm not going to hell. I'm on my way to heaven, so I'm good. We give no thought about our sanctification. We give no thought about good works. But friends, salvation is not the ultimate goal of God. Salvation is a means to a greater end. The ultimate goal of our salvation is to worship the Lord. Now, now, let's not confine worship to merely singing songs during corporate worship. Let, let, let me tell y'all, that is one of your pastor's pet peeves for, 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 for me to hear worship leaders sing, all right, now let's get to worship. Or let's get back to worship. I, 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 Brother Corey, I don't like it. He hadn't done it. I'm just letting him know. Because everything that we render to God is an act of worship. Friends, you can just, I'm intentional about this. Just look at your uh, 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 worship guide. It, it says worship through song. Worship through giving. Worship through preaching. Everything that the believer does is an act of worship. But worship doesn't just happen in this sacred place and at this sacred time. When you step out the doors, worship. Remember that at the bridge we said that worship is the total surrender to God of every aspect of daily life. Rewind. Oh, I said I wasn't going to say that after my sabbatical. Let me put this thing in reverse and come back again. There we go. That's my new one. <laughs> I'm coming for you. Worship is the total surrender to God of every aspect of daily life. Everything that the believer is and the believer does is an act of worship. 
when you get ready to go to brunch, an act of worship. Remember, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe verse 31, Paul says, and whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. When you get ready to go home, in your home, that's what you do there is an act of worship. Ooh, how you talk to your spouse. How you raise your children. Everything, every aspect of daily life is an act of worship to God. And that's why you've been saved, for his glory. Westminster Confession says, what is the chief end of man? And they respond, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you've been saved, child of God. It's not just about the sweet by and by, but your salvation has, uh, should affect the here and now. So the purpose of God and our salvation is worship. All of our life is a living sacrifice to the Lord. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy. So friends, your family, your work, in the home and outside of the home, your extracurriculars, your church, it all belongs to God. And that's why God has brought you out for his glory. But God has a purpose, not only in our salvation, but God has purpose even in his wrath. Woo! There's that word. See, we, we love to sing and preach and talk about God's love, but he's also a God of wrath. Look at verse 14. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Friends, this verse teaches us that disobedience and rebellion come at a cost. Look, look what God says to Pharaoh. He says, I'm going to send all my plagues on you. The word plague, it literally means a blow or a strike. And so this word plague signifies a devastating blow struck by God against disobedient people. These plagues are God dispensing his wrath. So God sends 10 blows, 10 strikes against Egypt because of Pharaoh. And when God says, he says, I'm going to send all my plagues. When that word all there, it, mean, it, it essentially God saying, I'm about to release the full force of my fury against you. God's wrath is devastating and deadly. These plagues are mighty acts of God's judgment upon Pharaoh and Egypt. Friends, disobedience leads to the judgment of God. But yet God's wrath is still a form of God's revelation. In his wrath, God reveals himself. Look at verse 14. He says, I'm... All my plagues are coming up on you so that, purpose, you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Friend, God wants 
Pharaoh and all of Egypt and all the world to know that there is no God but the Lord. God, and through all of these plagues, is proving his lordship over Pharaoh, Egypt, and all of creation. Let me prove it to you. Y'all got quiet on me. The first plague that God sends was the Nile River being turned into blood. Here's what you have to understand. All I'm going to show you is proving, I want you to see that in all the plagues, God is just proving his lordship. The Nile River is turned into blood. Here's what you have to understand about the Nile. The Egyptians considered the Nile a god. The Nile was thought to be the source of life of Egypt. Think about it. The Nile, it provided transportation to get their goods from place to place. It provided irrigation for their crops. It was their food and water supply. So there, therefore, the Nile was worshipped as the creator and sustainer of Egypt. So when God strikes the Nile, he was letting Pharaoh in Egypt know he alone is God. Friend, God's purpose and his judgment, his wrath, is to be known as the one and only God who is Lord. Friends, here, here in other words, theologians call this the, incomp the incomparability of God. In other words, there is no God that compares to our God. Friends, and that's just the simple truth of these plagues. God is letting Pharaoh and all the world know that there is no God like our God. I ought to have some witnesses in here who can testify that there is no God who can save like our God. There is no God who can deliver like our God. There is no God who can provide like our God. There is no God who can keep us like our God. There is no God. So, the songwriter said, you can, he searched far and wide. You can help me preach this thing. Nobody greater. But God has a purpose not only in salvation or, and, and in wrath, but God even has purpose in Pharaoh. Woo! Verse 16. But for this purpose, God says, for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power, so that by my name, my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God says, Pharaoh, I raised you up. First of all, you didn't get to the throne because of who you know. You didn't get to the throne because of who you are. I, I put you there first of all. He says, I raised you up for my purposes. I raised you up, Pharaoh, to demonstrate and showcase my power, my omnipotence. The revelation of the power of God, God says, will lead to my name being proclaimed in all the earth. Friends, watch this. God lets Pharaoh know, Pharaoh, as evil as you are, you are serving my purpose. Friends, even Satan serves for the glory of God. <laughs> no power in hell can frustrate the plan of God. 
Pharaoh himself is being used as an instrument to spread the fame of God's name throughout all the earth. Friends, one way or the other, every knee's going to bow. And every knee will confess who the Lord is. So God says, I raise you up. I put you on the throne to make my power known so that the fame of my name would be spread through all the word. So God, he says, I've got a purpose in my salvation. I've got a purpose in my wrath. I've got a purpose even in Pharaoh. God says, but there's also purpose in Revelation. Verse 20 says that those who feared the Lord, the word of the Lord, among the servants of Pharaoh, hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. Remember, God said, tell Pharaoh, I'm going to bring hell down. Like, has never been before in all of the nation. And so put up everything. And the word says that those who feared the word of the Lord did just what the Lord said. But there were some who didn't fear his word, and they left all their slaves and livestock out. But this group of people who feared the word of the Lord, they hurried their slaves and livestock to the houses. Why did they respond to this word? It's in the text. They feared the word of the Lord. How did they respond to the word of the Lord? Here it is. It's easy. By faith. And their faith led to obedience. By faith, they were saved. God's goal God's purpose in revealing himself, his will, and his way is so that we might fear him. To fear God is to respond to his word obediently. To ignore God means to do nothing at all. Friends, this section of the text teaches us that we ought to pay careful attention to God's word. We fear it or we can ignore it, but there will be consequences. Fear it, you reap life. Ignore it, and you will reap death. Fearing God means taking him at his word and responding by faith. Those are the purposes of God in the plagues. But not only do we see the purpose of God, in the plagues, but we also see the protection of God in these plagues. That's my second point, the protection of God. So God sends hell just like he said he would. However, he withholds hell from a certain area of Egypt. Look at verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hell. God makes a distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people. And notice, friends, that in the text, when you read the plagues, God makes a distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people, and there's nobody who is neutral. 
There's God's people. There's the kingdom of God. Then there's the kingdom of Pharaoh. And nobody's neutral. God takes his people and he protects them. Only in the land of Goshen were the people of Israel, God's chosen people, was there no hell. God protected his people from his judgment, his wrath. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, why would God do that? And why do we even have to ask that question? Because you've got to remember, these are the same people who just complained to Moses last week and told him, it's your fault that our life is harder now in Egypt. Remember, Moses went, he said, let my, God said, let my people go so that we can make sacrifice to the Lord in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, y'all just lazy. Y'all just don't work. Y'all just want to be idle. I'm going to make life harder for y'all. Y'all going to have to make bricks, and I'm not going to supply you the straw. You're going to have to find your own straw, and I'm not going to change the quota that you have to meet every week. And so these same people who had just believed based on God's mighty signs and wonders, now they're saying, Moses, it's your fault. These are the same people who just temporarily turned against God's chosen man, yet God still protected them. Why? Because despite their unbelief, they were still God's people. Friends, their disbelief did not disqualify their discipleship. Ooh, you missed a good spot to take a lap. We got more room now. You can there's been some of us who have been just like these Israelites. We've, we, we've been fickle in our faith. We've been just like them. We begin to doubt God, but yet God didn't disqualify. God didn't throw us away. He said, you still mine. Okay. 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 Let's go. God does this because they are his people. They are God's possession. And God preserved them from his hand of judgment. Friends, all I'm trying to tell you is that there are privileges and benefits to being a member of the people of God. There are privileges to being citizens of the kingdom of God. God takes care of his children. Friends, be not dismayed, whatever be taught. God will take care of you. He protects us. There are privileges that come with being God's people. All right, y'all not getting with me, so let me call a witness. Come here, psalmist. Are there privileges to being a part of the people of God? The psalmist says in 103, yes, there are. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here are the privileges who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfy you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He says, I've got more privileges. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Here's some more privileges. He does not deal with us according to our sins. 
I ought to have some witnesses right now who are grateful that for the privilege of being a child of God that he doesn't treat us like we deserve. That's God's mercy. Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. He says there are more privileges done for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. He says, but I've got more privileges as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Friends, do you understand in God's economy, in God's geography, the east and the west never meet? Y'all, I'm doing my best preaching this morning. My question is this. Who wouldn't serve a God like this? <laughs> God distinguishes between his people and those who are not his people. Today, God still has his people. It's called the church. And the only way to become a part of his people is by faith. His people are those who respond to his loving gift of substituting his son, Jesus Christ, to take away his wrath by way of the cross. And friends, no one's neutral. There are those who are outside of the people of God. And they are damned to God's eternal wrath. And God's word for you today is he can protect you from his own wrath. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What do we take from today's word? I think God wants us to devote all of our life to him. He has freed you from sin and Satan to worship him. And he wants you to surrender all of your life, every aspect to him. Here's the thing that we keep hearing. I told you we were going to hear it every time, this constant refrain. Here's what we're going to hear. So that you may know that I am the Lord. The Lord, the master, the ruler. What is owed to the Lord? obedience. And so God is calling somebody in here to submit to his lordship. I think God also today wants us to fear the word of the Lord. This is to have a holy awe and reverence to God's word. But then it's clear that God wants us to know him. He wants us to recognize his authority, bow down, and worship him. He is the Lord. Let's stand. 